Welcome to the Pod 20. I'm Graham Mack, and this week I'll talk to an American who's a star in South Africa, a lady whose voice you'll know but probably won't know her name, and we'll have a look at the dark side of creativity with my guest Kevin Kautzman from The Art of Darkness. The Pod 20 is heard on podcast radio on DAB in London, the home counties, Manchester, Birmingham and Glasgow, on demand in the USA at talkers.com, around the world on multiple platforms and as a podcast itself. Into the chart now and at number 20, Dr. Death from Wondery. Christopher Dunch was a neurosurgeon who radiated confidence. He claimed he was the best in Dallas, but soon his patients started to experience complications. 19. The Breakfast Club, the world's most dangerous morning show. The Breakfast Club with DJ Envy, Angela Yee and Chalamet the God is at number 19 this week on the Pod 20. 18. Alan Carr's Life's a Beach. Alan's latest guest is Nick Grimshaw. 17. The Diary of a CEO with Stephen Bartlett. A few years ago, he was a broke university dropout living in one of the worst parts of the country, alone, with nothing but a laptop and a dream. Fast forward a few years, and Steve is the 27-year-old CEO of one of the UK's fastest-growing companies. Every week, he shares his personal diary with you, and you see what it's like behind the scenes with an entrepreneur. 16. Behind the Bastards. The podcast about the worst humans in history. Number 15. Tales from the Tannoy. Eleanor Hamilton talks to voice actors and voiceover artists. Eleanor, we've heard your voice on countless commercials and announcements. You run a voiceover business called Sayer Hamilton. Sayer is Phil Sayer, who was your husband up until he died in 2016. It's Phil's voice that we hear saying, mind the gap on the underground. It must be nice having so many recordings of Phil. I'm so glad that I have because I obviously, since losing Phil, have come become friendly with a lot of widows because we, we tend to find comfort in each other. But the number of widows that I know who literally used to have to phone their husband's voicemail just to hear them say, I'm sorry, I can't take your call at the moment because that's all they had. Yeah. Um, I can't escape my husband. Um, but, but what I do find is that when it doesn't happen so much anymore, but when uh, after he died, obviously a lot of his jobs would have to go elsewhere and other people would have to do them. And uh, people would tweet me and say, oh, did you know Phil's voice has come off at Waterloo? And, uh, you know, why have they removed Phil Sayer? And, and it, every, I found it very comforting that he was still working. And I don't think people realised how much it would hurt for me to read a tweet that said, oh, your husband's just been taken off such and such a station. I didn't need to know. And I felt like I, it, it just made me grieve every single time. So for me, the grief, it felt as if it was this long drawn out process rather than taking off a plaster. But at the same time, on balance, I'm, I'm much happier having his voice. And I feel really privileged that I still have his voice. Um, in a way that I think a lot of people would just give anything to be in my position. So I'm, I'm not knocking it. However, though, we're not. talking about April 2016. You've got the mm. grief to go through. You've got the, the young boys who you said were, were 10, twins were 10. Yeah. So you've got the responsibility there. 
but you've also got the responsibility of the business that you were involved in together. Yeah. So how did you cope through that? That must have just been like, well, what the hell do we do now? Yeah, yeah. it was. It, I think when you, even though for two years we knew that things may not, you know, for a year we knew that Phil had a chance and for another year we knew he was going to die. So we had a lot of time to prepare, but nothing really prepares you for the fact that, you know, when it happens, it's like, oh, oh <laughs> I wasn't expecting this. Um, and God bless him. He was such a nice guy. He he did everything that he could um, to make sure that his work went to the right people. So he left me with a kind of a list of the people that he really trusted to to look after his clients in the best possible way. Um, and, or the voice talent. And, yeah. 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 Uh, you know, because he wanted to make sure that his clients sort of felt that they hadn't been left in the lurch. I mean, it's just one of those stupid, you, you know, you look back and go, oh, you were dying. It didn't matter. But you know, he was he was a good guy and he wanted to be sure that people, he, he almost felt guilty because he was dying. It was like, oh, so, I'm so sorry to leave you in this situation. Um, but I think that was a really good idea until you realise how other people feel when they are at the client end and they're going, we, we can't phone Eleanor and ask her, yeah. oh, hello, love, do you mind giving us a, a name of somebody that sounds a little bit like your husband? They're just not going to do that and because they're humans, aren't they? And, yeah. and they just sort of quietly scuttled off and did their own thing. So I was kind of left <laughs> not just with these two grieving children and uh, and a business. And, you know, all, obviously all the clients kind of went away um, or a lot of them did. Um, yeah. I'm incredibly grateful for one or two who mainly were run by women who were mothers and they kind of went, this lady's going to be looking after two kids on her own. So maybe we should try her out and see if she's any good. And, um, and one of... Those clients is still to this day one of my biggest clients, and I don't think I would have managed very well without them. Um, so th there was a lot of humanity going on, which which kept me afloat. Uh, that I'm incredibly grateful for. Um, and and now I I run my business on the almost as a kind of an Armageddon business um, because when Phil died, obviously it put me in a position. Obviously, it put our clients in a position, but it it made them, it, it was impossible for them to find um, a suitable alternative without going through this minefield of Google. So now the business that I run is supplying uh, multiple voiceovers to multiple e-learning companies mainly, um, almost on the basis of, you know, this has happened before. It could happen again. I got ill and, and I'd love to be able to say if I got cancer again, I'd like to be able to sit down and not have to work, you know, and pass my work to other people, but still look after these same clients. So I suppose if if I'm completely honest, the business model of the company that I run as my day job is, you know, hell, one of us might die. So <laughs> you know. You've got to be prepared, I suppose. Tales from the Tannoy is at number 15 this week on the pod 20. 14. Drama Queens. Brooke, Payton and Haley are your BFFs. Number 13. The Jordan B. Peterson Podcast. The intellectual phenomenon Dr. Jordan Peterson and his daughter Michaela with enlightened discourse that will change the way you think. 12. Happy Place. Fern Cotton talks to incredible people about life, love, loss and everything in between. Her latest guest is the journalist and broadcaster... Caitlin Moran. 11. Monday Morning Podcast. Bill Burr rants about relationships, sport, and the Illuminati. At number 10, Two Trillion Thoughts with the broadcaster and comedian 
Griff. Griff, last time you were on, you told me about how the murderer, Oscar Pistorius, complained to a comedy club in South Africa about the jokes you made about him on stage. Despite that, though, you are quite famous in South Africa, aren't you? Yeah, I done. I've been on Comedy Central Africa three times. You three can times. see behind me right here. That's one of the uh, shows I did. Actually, on that show right there, it was called um, Divine. And it was a Jewish comedian, uh, uh, Sankofa. Uh, his parents was witch doctors or, you know, uh, healers. It was a atheist, a Muslim, uh, and then me. And I closed the show. So uh, just... I understand their culture. I love South Africa. My spirit loves South Africa even more. Um, but it's definitely somewhere I'm, go I'm actually flying when I go. We're working on a. We keep, I was supposed to do something in March at a casino uh, uh, this year, but they still on COVID lockdown. So now we're looking at uh, September, October for the same thing. But I'm definitely going home. So, yeah, yeah. And you've done all kinds of other things. Let's talk about a couple of them. You played a dog in a movie. Oh man, that was cool. Yeah. I was uh I played the voice of a dog. It was a live dog. And like I played his voice. And uh the direction for that was really what's, fun. What, no. what's, what's the movie? Griff, maybe we can track it down. <sighs> that don't make no sense. <laughs> I can't even think of it. <laughs> It might come to you when you tell me about the story about how this all happened. I, I, I got to pull it up. How, how many no, movies no. have you made, Griff? I've been in it. See, that's <laughs> I've been I've been doing a few. I, I've been I did I did two Christmas movies this year um, in the last three months that will be coming out later on in the year. And then I got some uh, shows that we just pitched and greenlit uh, for South Africa and something else. It, it, I do a lot, and then I forget. You know what I'm saying? Like, you was even, like, The man me, with the amazing memory has forgotten the movies in when he played a dog. Oh, don't do that, Graham. You I'm sorry, do that Graham. I'm sorry. Dog. That's sorry, dog. All right. Anyway. You were going to look it up. What, what's the what's the film, then? The, you going to look it up? Griff, Boys as a Dog movie. Yeah. And then whenever I do that, Griff Reese Jones comes up on everything. Oh, of course he does. Yeah. Yeah. He's stolen your thunder there, Griff. I tell everybody that I say, just just Google me. I said, there's going to be two Griffs. There's going to be a white Griff, a British dude who's been acting. And he's clearly not me when you see him. But it's <laughs> not Rice. It's pronounced Reese. R-H-Y-S. That's uh, it. Griff Reese Jones. Griff Reese Jones and then me. So yeah. I'll share it with somebody in London. Dog, I can't think of the name of that movie, man, to save my life. But how did you get that gig then? They like my voice. That's how I've been getting gigs my whole... That's how I got the radio job that, you know, they like my voice. Yeah. I, mean, I, I, I didn't go to any... I didn't go to uh, any school... Uh, for 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 radio and they they pretty much just I'm on radio right now because they like my voice they like my voice and I got stories yeah 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 but what I don't have hold on I'm gonna remember this dog I'm looking at my I'm looking at my own website that's horrible <laughs> ain't that horrible dog 
I'm looking at <laughs> you. Sorry for making me. It's called it's called Ernie and Serby. That's what it's called. Ernie and Serby. Okay. And and you play. And what kind of dog is it that you play? It's like an American bulldog. Okay, I so get that. So they made me go on a red carpet with the dog, right? I'm like, hey, Rick, hey, Griff, what's for that? The yeah. The dog stole so much. Uh, oh wait! This is so. This isn't animated. This, it's a real dog, and you had to voice the voice of a real dog, right? Yeah, it's right. a proper dog. Like right. uh, I know this is so. So Graham is a lot more uh, savvy and stuff than me. This is Aaron's. But this is what it looked like. So we took a trip to Earth to figure this love thing out. You know you look like a kid. <laughs> I feel so tiny. I have tiny paws. So that's me. I'm that wow. little dog. So what yeah. happened on the red carpet then? Uh, the dog <laughs> on somebody. And <laughs> the dog was so damn unprofessional. I think the dog was Oscar Pistorius. <laughs> he, he, maybe he knew him. Maybe he knew him, yeah. It's Griff with Two Trillion Thoughts, number 10 this week on the Pod 20. At nine, hidden brain. Discover the unconscious patterns that drive human behavior, shape our choices, and direct our relationships. At eight, revisionist history. Malcolm Gladwell's journey through the overlooked and misunderstood. 7. Freakonomics Radio Discover the hidden side of everything with Stephen J. Dubner, co-author of the Freakonomics books. Number 6. The Art of Darkness The podcast that looks at the dark side of creativity. One of the hosts is Kevin Kautzman, and Kev, we're a man down today. Yeah, we are. Well, so a lot of these podcasts have this, uh, they sort of LARP as working class, right? Yeah, it's a thing you do these days. You pretend to be something you're not. Yeah. My co-host of the Art of Darkness podcast, artofdarkpod.com, is quite literally in a sewer right now in Detroit, uh, maintaining said sewer. So we don't have we're not LARPing at all. The, you know, Brad so, Kelly is. Yeah. So Brad was due to come on and he what he got called out for some sewer emergency in Detroit. There's he's he's busy in the sewer right now and I am my heart is sinking. Why? <laughs> I wish he was here. I mean, you know, he's this guy we have we have this like epic bromance it goes back to grad school we're you know whatever. I mean, you know, but he's like he, he texts me this morning goes, "I want to be on this show right, you know. Oh, yeah, you know, but they called me into the sewer." <laughs> Uh, okay, we're, we'll so get we're it, laugh about that. Yeah. We'll get into the podcast in a bit, but basically, it's the art of darkness, and you explore yeah. the connection between people's dark past and that that whether that channels into creativity. Would that be a, a good way of describing it, shorthand? Yeah, that's pretty good. I oh, mean, okay, it's, well, it's well about- how would how would you describe it then? <laughs> uh, yeah, we want to uh, we want to interrogate the way that art. Uh, this is a lot. It's a lot to unpack very quickly. Okay. Um, yeah. No. 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 It's just it's this idea of like of of artists are not supposed to be vicars. Yeah. Do you know? Yeah. And so we're we're in this weird scenario now where everyone has to be 
like a saint. And I, I don't know. I look back at these, the great artists and I just don't, that's not what I see. So, it, okay. but it's also like, it's this fun thing for Brad and me to uh, just to enjoy going back over great artists and look, you know, just to look creatives, Oscar Wilde, Burroughs, Virginia Woolf, you know, freaking me out. Just Stanley Kubrick, you did a great one on. Kubrick. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Kubrick. What is what was wrong with that guy? Yeah, right. What, like, what, we, what was his problem? <laughs> Stanley Kubrick did could not hang in an American high school in the in in the Bronx in the period that he grew up in. That Why? was his problem. That, Why was that? Hmm? Why was that? Well, it's. That's a lot to, again, it's, it's difficult, you know, but I, that, that's my summary of it. Well, there are a lot of reasons. I mean, he was, you know, he was, he was a, he was a, a Jewish fellow. Yeah. Uh, you know, he was, he was angry. Uh, everyone, I mean, you should have been angry. Do you know? Like during that period. Okay. Yeah. No? When he grew in the time yeah. he grew up. Yeah. Yeah. Which yeah. would which when was well, he in school? Be, was I'm guessing he was in school in what the early fifties, maybe? Uh, you know, no, I think it was a little before that. Yeah, was it? Before. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. around around the well, t- time of the Second he, he World was War, making, he was making strange love into the you know into the sixties. So he was just a little before. Yeah, sixty four yeah. was strange love, wasn't it? Yeah. So okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But he was he was a genius who was able to have like a conversation with his own voyeuristic intelligence yeah. at, at a very young age. And he was angry. Yeah. Right. I, you know, I don't know. <laughs> so we're just trying to have fun with the, the show. <laughs> Can you explain to me while we've just stumbled into Kubrick here, what the hell was the end of 2001? What does it mean? <laughs> I love that. That's a great question. Yeah. What do you think it means? I don't know. I see 2001 bothers me because I, I love it. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love it as a, as a piece of art. I think it's, some of it is just so great. And when you consider it was made before man had even been to the moon, it was, I think it came out in 68. So it was probably made in 67 and, you know, yeah, before CGI yeah, yeah. and everything, everything was done, you know, all that was done with models and stuff, but it was done for real. And it yeah. is just a beautiful thing to watch. But as a, a telling of a story, well, there's basically three stories that are loosely connected, but it doesn't resolve and tuck in at the end for me because I'm like, at the end, you, you've committed, it's a long film, you've committed so much to it, you've enjoyed so much of it. So, you know, so yeah. much of it is iconic with Hal and, and the whole oh, thing. Yeah. Yeah. And then at the end, you're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, but, but every time, every time I get a chance to watch it, I'll still watch yeah. it knowing it's, it's going to disappoint at the very end for me. Right. And, and I'd love right. to know if someone could explain, I had a friend who was right into it and, it, and, and he would say, I'd go like, come on, just give me something so I can go. Hmm. And he'd go, 
It means life is a circle. I'm like, what does that mean? And he'd go, life is a circle. I'm thinking, he doesn't know. You know it's yeah, just too yeah, simplistic. Yeah. Just, so so what is it? What is the yeah. star child and all? Just what read Nietzsche. Yeah. Do you know? Yeah, it's it's funny because they they wrote the screenplay and the novel in tandem. Yeah. You know that. It yeah. w- wasn't it so, Arthur C. Clarke had written a book called The Sentinel, which I've never written, never read, so I don't know what yeah. goes on there. And right, then, right. and then that was that. Then they kind of made it up as they went along, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. I right. mean, and so they they were trying to create something unique and strange. And uh, Kubrick, I mean, your your um, little riff there got me thinking about, which was quite fun. Got me thinking about how Kubrick is just not about acid. He wasn't into it. Kubrick, you would think. But like a this. lot of people at that time would get blitzed and then go and watch it and have a hell oh, of a yeah. time. <laughs> yeah. Supposedly. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I've heard about, <laughs> yeah, that's what I've read. Yes, me too. But do, can you yeah. explain the ending? Or do you, like me, just, just every time you watch it, you go, nah, still don't get it. I, you know, I think that the, I can't, of course, I can't, I can explain the ending for myself. Yes. Uh, we're in the well, great that's a age start. the individual. Yeah. Well, you know, it's better than nothing. <laughs> <laughs> right. I can't, that's all I've got, Graham. I, I, I really can't see that being on the poster, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, right, right, right. Catch the ending, it's better than nothing. Man. Yeah. <laughs> no, uh, it's, it's, I don't know. It, it is a bit of a wink. I mean, you know, the end, it, it, it's. <laughs> It's meant to send you into this recursive loop. Yeah. And it's it's undergrad, you know, I studied philosophy formally. It's okay. it's this undergraduate silliness, you know, at the end, but it it does bring you back to the cinema. So that that on its own is actually pretty awesome because cinema at that period too, like I'm thinking about like the 60s and 70s, it's like it starts to get to be a little um nihilistic. Uh-huh. And and tricky yeah. at that time. Yeah. Like I don't I don't know, you know, are you are you really gonna bring your uh your your mistress to taxi driver yeah. over and over? Yeah. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's not good. Yeah. It's it starts to get ugly and gross in yeah. the 70s. And we're kind yeah. of careening back toward that time politically and whatever. So it it like as cinema, it's incredible. It is. It is. There's nothing yeah. like it. It's never been. It's nothing's come close to it. It's that far. It, it's so. It's so, in in some ways, so perfect. And I don't think it's, Kubrick got close yeah. to it either. Shine. The Shining's after, pretty after good. That, but yeah. What? The Shining would be my second favorite Kubrick film. Yeah. But, and but that's more of a story that's tucked in at the end, and it actually all works. So does Strange Love. It actually, you know, something you know. The right, guy right. sitting on the bomb. But just 2001, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know, man. I mean, you know, The Shining, like, I, you know, I, I don't know where you're from, uh, Graham, but like The Shining, as an American, you kind of just, it, there's something that just slams you in the face about The Shining. Really? Um, uh, well, I'm British. I, I grew up in the northwest of England, but also lived in New Zealand and Australia. How, how do you mean? Because yeah. I thought it connected with me. It worked well as a piece. Well, I mean, it, it's going to work with everyone, but I mean, yeah. you know, it's, it's, uh, yeah, yeah. There's, there's something about the shining. Have you, have you seen, um, the, what is it? Room, room two, three, 
what is it? Room 237, the documentary about the making of The Shining. Do you know this one? No, I've seen clips of probably on YouTube, bits and pieces of what looked like the making of The Shining. So I've probably seen bits, clips of that documentary, but I haven't seen the whole thing, no. Yeah, it's so good. It's it's like the, the this idea that The Shining is about uh, the conquest of America and, and all the rest. I mean, oh, there's just something- oh, there's something far deeper going on there. Have you not heard that? No. No, oh, I'm not. Yeah, see, yeah. you see, I don't run a podcast called uh, The Art of Darkness. So I haven't. Yeah, right, right. I, you, you know what I mean? So I've not gone as deep. <laughs> you just got to keep delving into the, just find the bottom. Yeah. 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 No, it's interesting. It's, yeah, The Shining is incredible. I mean, yeah. there's, there's, that's like, it, and the idea that he, so the, the, the thing that people talk about when they talk about The Shining is this idea that, um, like, he was bored after making Barry Lyndon. Okay. I love that idea. Because yeah. Barry and Lyndon, Lyndon is another one where technically, you know, because he didn't he get a lens that was faster than before so he could shoot by candlelight and everything. That's another yeah. one that is that is a work of art, but as a story being right. told. Yeah, you just kind of go like, <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah. okay, nerd. Yeah. You know, so you're saying yeah. he was well, bored after that one and that led him to the show? Well, that's that's what they say. I mean, you know, it's like he, you know, if you if you think about like like an artist coming off of um Barry Lyndon and then going to the shining, you would go, Oh, this guy needs some like the shining is it like titillation for him. I see. I see. You know. Okay. And I, yeah. I, I, you know, yeah. Anyway, they're both great. I, I don't know what the, the ending of uh, 2001 means. Okay, great. I'm glad I'm not alone. And, you know, because no, it makes you feel inferior, like you're missing something or you don't get something or you're not quite all there. Or, But yeah. Okay. I, I mean, Joe, Joe Rogan has, uh, you know, what? He, he sold his podcast for $100 million. Who knows? Yeah. Art of Darkness, what that will be worth. It's at number six this week on the pod 20. That's got to be worth something. Number five, Conan O'Brien needs a friend. After 25 years at the late night desk, Conan has never made a real and lasting friendship with any of his celebrity guests, so he started a podcast to fix that. In episode 135, his guest is Daniel Radcliffe. Number four, Today in Focus from The Guardian. At three, Stuff You Should Know. If you've ever wanted to know about champagne, Satanism, the Stonewall Uprising, Chaos Theory, LSD, El Nino, True Crime and Rosa Parks, then this is your podcast. At number two, Crime Junkie, because you can never get enough true crime. And straight in at number one. A thorough examination with Dr. Chris and Zand. Chris and Zand are doctors and identical twins. Well, not quite identical. Zand is clinically obese. The reason he's overweight is ultra-processed food. Chris wants Zand to quit, so he has a plan. To send him on a journey to meet the world's experts on food, weight, taste and addiction. A thorough examination with Dr. Chris and Zand Number one this week on the Pod 20. That's it for episode 64. Thanks to this week's guest pod stars, Kevin Kautzman, Eleanor Hamilton and Griff. Next week, my guests include Bean Baxter and Ali McKay, who are part of the breakfast show on the world-famous K-Rock in Los Angeles, a show that ran for 30 years. 
Now you host the podcast, A Cup of Tea and a Chat. What do you think about how many celebrities are doing podcasts? And I know this last year was exceptional for many of them because their regular revenue streams dried up because they weren't making movies or TV shows or being able to go out on concerts. But I feel like every single day, if it's not Harry and Meghan announcing a podcast, it's, you know, Mini Driver or Will Ferrell or somebody. It just seems like everybody is into it now. Yeah, and and uh, and some of them are good and some of them not so good. But maybe it's they've got the gift of that awareness because they've already got... They're already famous for something. But you guys are already famous for something. So that's the same thing, isn't it? We're barely famous. I mean, we are the tiniest. Yeah. we got to remember, radio is the lowest rung of the entertainment ladder, right? So we are way, way, way down here in terms of fame. Yeah, well, it's yeah. it's still, a, you're still known, though. That's, you know, to be able to take a tribe that you mean, to, to the people who you mean something to, you're more important than, you know, a, a, a big movie star or TV star because you mean something to them. So, Ali, you were going to say, speak for yourself on the, the lower end of the entertainment ladder, weren't you? <laughs> I was going to say, listen, when you Google my name, you just see Ali McKay shake weight or Ali McKay milks a goat. Those are the two <laughs> things you see of my news career. So, no, I was actually going to agree 100% with it. <laughs> Okay. Now the the podcast does take though a little bit of the vibe of of Kevin and Bean. Like for instance, you start with that wonderful uh, montage of of sound bites. Was that deliberate that you were gonna you were gonna tap into some of the things that made the, the old show successful? That's a great question. Um, we didn't have a format in mind when we started. We, you know, we didn't know how long we were going to go. We didn't know what segments we were going to do. We, we knew that we didn't want to try to recreate the radio show. We knew there were, there were people that would have expected that. And that's not something either of us were interested in. We're not trying to re reclaim past glories or anything like that. We wanted to create our new universe and, and, and do new stuff. But when you get started with something, you you have a certain skill set that you're comfortable with. And I love sound and I always have. And I always, as long as I've been in radio, have collected audio and I love putting it together. How many sound bites just, you got now? I don't know. Around 50,000, I think. <laughs> I think around 50,000. Allie, Allie will remember this, that um, when I was off the air for all those months, I didn't have a show but I still was collecting sound as if I did. And when we decided to start doing this show, I said, well, I guess I better get them all labeled and cut up and put into my computer. So we have access to them. And in that few months, since I was off the air, I collected over 1200 new ones. So yeah, a lot of sound. So to answer your question, it was something that I was comfortable with that I thought I would enjoy doing that. The listeners would enjoy. We'll see how it goes. And, uh, yeah, it's fine. You know, I, I certainly didn't invent that. You know, there have been radio shows for a long time who have played a lot of sound bites and stuff, but it's uh, it's one aspect of radio I really enjoy. There's nothing wrong with a podcast if people are interesting of them just sitting and having a chat, but I enjoy something that has a little bit of production value. You know, if it's got some jingles, if it's got some, you know, some audio, some different kinds of sounds and voices and music and things like that, it just, I don't know, to me, it's just more fun to hear it all put together. And Ali has been changed since he moved to the UK. I mean, he says schedule, which is schedule. insane to me. It's schedule. He'll say maths too doing? soon, you know. Maths, seriously. Which, by the way, Graham, you can answer this for me. We, of course, uh, Bean's main uh, the uh, 
the bane of his existence has been people saying daylight savings time instead mm-hmm. of daylight saving time here in America. Mm-hmm. There's no S. There shouldn't be. And I brought up to him, and I think it kind of blew his mind, British summertime. Why is it not British summer's time? If, if you're so into S's at the end of stuff like maths, <laughs> why is it not British summer's time? <laughs> can we can we make this a movement? Let's do this, guys. I I just read Graham about somebody uh, somebody giving giving or taking bloods. I can't remember which one it was, but it was giving or taking no. blood, not blood, bloods. And I thought, well, Ali's right about that. S. we do love our s's. We do like, love your s's. Our major supermarket here is called Tesco, but everybody calls it Tesco's. <laughs> right. <laughs> so we love the S's. You like love the, the S's. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't think Bean has changed much. He's he's the same really inappropriate um, at times person. I think, you know what I do think maybe Bean is a little bit more of is sensitive to certain things. And I think I think he's definitely... I don't want to say our little boy has grown up, but I think he's not only more sensitive to certain things, he's more able to share that he's sensitive about certain things. I don't want to say vulnerable if that's not the word that that he'd go for. But I think he's he's more open on this podcast than he ever was on Kevin and Bean. Do you agree with that, Bean? I think I think so. And I think it's for a couple of different reasons. One is this is a more intimate environment. It's just two people talking. It doesn't have the same feel of what, not that our show was really a wacky morning zoo type show, but it could feel like that sometimes. And it was easy to get mocked. There was a lot more being made fun of on that show from people. Allie's really, Allie's a lot more mature than some of the other people that we used to work with. And I think she's- That is terrifying. It is terrifying. I think she's willing to have a more, again, I I hate to keep overusing the word intimate, but I think she's, she's able to have a more adult conversation without being dumb. You know what I mean? Um, And I think part of it is just my worldview has changed a lot as a result of so many things that have happened in the last year and a half. This pandemic really makes you stop and think what's important in the world and what you have, how much you have to be grateful for. And like anybody else in the world, I've been deeply affected by the Me Too movement. I've been deeply affected by the Black Lives Matter movement. I'm right now deeply affected by the conversation that's going on in the UK about women's safety. I mean, those sorts of things, you know, I think I think the world is getting a lot better at addressing those issues that have been problems in society for so long. And I'm like any other citizen who's who's learning and growing as I go. And I think that makes me a better human and also a better broadcaster. Well, you're already one of the best broadcasters there is, Bean. That's why you're in the U.S. Radio Hall of Fame. More from Ali and Bean from a cup of tea and a chat next week on the Pod 20. In the meantime, you can watch extended video chats with my guests on YouTube and subscribe to my YouTube channel. And what will happen on the podcast radio chart next week? Will a thorough examination with Dr. Chris and Zen still be at the top of the chart? Will your favorite podcast be at number one? Find out with me, Graham Mack. And don't forget to influence the chart too. Make a recommendation at thepodcastradio.co.uk.
On the morning of August 1, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. You're listening to Stop the Killing podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweitz, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery. And I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify and all the usual suspects.